A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Welcome to Season 4. I hope you have had a great break. I certainly have, but I've also been finding great guests for this season. We have a cult expert, an Olympian, a happiness author, and a lot more interesting and inspiring people coming up. I really hope that you enjoy this season as much as I have putting it together. Enjoy this episode with Olympian Sarah Stevenson, and I hope it inspires you as much as it did me. Hello, and welcome to Life Changes You. I hope you've had a good week. I'm Daniel, and today I've got a great guest for you, and um, I met her on Instagram, and I was reading her bio, and then I was reading some stuff online, and I have to say that this woman is really inspirational, and if anyone's thinking about a mindset, this woman would be someone to listen to or follow. So it's Sarah Stevenson, who is a bronze medal Olympian in Taekwondo, and it was the first time that Britain had won a medal in this sport. And also, Sarah, you're an MBE, so I'm not sure if I'm supposed to bow to you. (laughs) Yeah, you can care to me. I'm not not bothered. I'm okay to me, it's fine. But uh, that is one thing I'm very, very proud of, especially what we're going through now with losing our queen. So it's a a big honour to to have met her and and I got my MBE from her, so I feel pretty special about that. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And look, I'm so glad to have you because, as I said, you know, uh, look, we're going to cover a few things. How did it feel to be the first person to win a, an Olympic medal for Taekwondo? It, it was amazing. Do you know what? It took a while to sink in because the day that I actually won that medal was quite a traumatic day. So I didn't just win a medal. It was probably a day that actually changed Taekwondo forever. So I'll, I'll explain a little bit about that because I don't know if you've You've read up much about that, but um, this is one of the things I talk about in my motivational speeches. Um, so on the day, I would say the fittest, strongest, mentally um, robust, the, the best like I've ever been, because it's my third Olympics. I'd done rubbish in the one before, absolutely terrible mindset in Athens. Amazing mindset in Sydney, and I went to the Olympics in 2000. I was only 17, so that's like another story. But 2008 was like the one... For me, I was 25, a lot of experience. I was kind of the, I don't really like saying this because you sound big headed, but I suppose I was like the poster girl for, for Taekwondo in this country. And right. But I'd coped really well. I'd got a lot of mental psych support um, within the sport. And I was just really ready. And I won the first match really comfortably. And I was then I came up against China in China. So obviously, you know, with crowds there and yeah. supporting their home girl. And that match was probably one of the most iconic matches in Taekwondo history just because it was so controversial and not for the benefit of me. So back then, the referees, they they decided when you scored a point. So they pressed their buttons if they wanted a point right. red or blue. And so sometimes it wasn't that fair. Sometimes, you know, it was a little bit controversial anyway. It was just like they just didn't want to score my points. I could just feel... Something wasn't right. Um, I was, I mean, honestly, I kicked 
the crap out of this girl all over the ring. <laughs> Even at the end, there's a famous kick at the time when they kicked her in the face and I didn't get any points. So we were just all really angry. This was the quarterfinals. When you've got such a big, big dream and it felt like someone else had taken it away from me, yeah. um, we come off the ring and I just didn't want to do Taekwondo again. Like that, which, it's weird to say now because I've been through so much more heartache, but that was the worst day, the worst moment of my whole life because that's all I ever wanted to do. And there was so much drama. We put a protest in and... I mean, I'm ready to go home. I wanted to go home on the, the aeroplane, just get me home. I never want to do this sport again. Yeah. But then what happened was they changed the decision. And after feeling like that, I don't think any psych in the world could have prepared me to be ready for an Olympic semi-final. They gave me like 10 minutes to warm up. They rushed me out against Mexico. And at that time, it was going to be me or Mexico was going to win the gold. So that was the match for me to be focused. Yeah. Obviously, I wasn't focused. Yeah. The crowd were not aware that I was coming out. They were waiting for their hero to come out. Right. So they were very angry. They yeah. were booing me. It, it was hard, really, really hard. Um, so that match didn't go well. I didn't win that fight. I busted my ankle um, really bad. Mexico went on to win, and I had one more chance to get the bronze medal, really. I just kind of mentally, I just went back to being when I was young and my old coach used to say, used to, say to me, just shut up and get on with it. Stop your moaning and just get on with it. I mean, there's a, mo- a lot more profanities within that, but I'll keep that. <laughs> I'll keep that to myself. And sometimes it is just as simple as that. Just shut up and do it. Stop moaning. So what if you've got a busted ankle? You're just going to have to go for it. And that was literally all I could do. And with one leg, um, I managed to win the bronze. So it was amazing to have it, but I would have preferred to have won it in the right way. If yeah. that was my outcome with all my doing, then fair enough. But it, it was a little bit of a difficult thing to get over. But since then, Taekwondo's changed and they have now electronic scoring because they can't allow that to happen again at the Olympics or it won't be in the Olympics. Yeah. So I'm very proud. I am very proud. Um, it doesn't hurt me anymore. It is what it is. It's, it's a good story to tell. It's, Gave me a lot of strength mentally to know that I can overcome tough battles. Um, but it is nice to say that I was the first person to win an Olympic bronze. And it's nice even to know where I come from. I'm, I come from a, a town that people don't win Olympic medals. People don't have MBEs. It's a very rough and ready place. Not a lot of opportunities. So it, it, that means a lot as well. Look, I mean, yeah, I know that uh, you had this technicality where, you know, they favoured her. but still winning a bronze medal i mean but and also like you've just said you didn't have time to mentally prepare to go in and, and fight against mexico and you had a busted foot i mean <laughs> the odds were against you and yet you still came out with a bronze medal that's amazing it, it is when i look back it's um it's just funny how your mentality can just switch when you've i just completely had enough that day i thought oh my god this day not get anywhere so I have just got to absolutely go for it and as long as I do that then you can't have any regrets if I've gone home without a medal obviously it would have been horrendous but I did everything that I physically could I mean when I went to the Olympics in 2004 it was all on me I thought absolutely terrible I had the worst mindset I didn't have psych support it was seen as a weakness then at the time yeah Yeah. Um, and 
it, I lost. I completely froze in the ring and I put too much pressure on myself and I vowed to not let that happen again for the next Olympics. And I didn't. It, some of it was out of my control, but I, I don't have any regrets. And I think that's really important. Oh, look, I mean, I, I, I when I've, I read some of your stuff and I said to you before we came on, I generally don't read anything about anyone, but you know, you're an Olympian. And I thought, look, I need to have some background in my head while I'm talking to you. But you've had so many injuries. And I, I mean, I was saying to you, you took out a, a silver at the Olympic qualifiers, even though you had a broken hand. I mean, yeah, yeah. How, how do you do that? I think one of the things is acceptance that injuries happen when you choose to do a combat sport. So yeah. um, it's partly my own fault. <laughs> The, the hand thing, it was only a little bit broken. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> a little um, bit broken. I, yeah, it's a little bit broken. And, and again, it's it's because as Olympic athletes, we have this dream that overtakes anything. It's like the most important thing in your life that you want to go to the Olympics. You want to win the Olympics. So a little whatever happening in my hand yeah. can't stop me. You know what I mean? It, you just can't. And I think it's it's definitely down to having that bigger goal in your life. So can we just go back? At how young were you when you started Taekwondo? I was about seven when I started. Wow. So quite young. Yeah, quite young. And as I said before, like my where I'm from, there wasn't a lot going on. There wasn't a lot of opportunities. I wasn't in a sporty school. I wasn't from a sporty family. But the town that I was born in had the best taekwondo club at that time in the country. Wow. So I think that kind of all the ships aligned, really. And, um, you know, my mum and dad used to take my brother. And then when I was old enough, they took me. I wouldn't say I was naturally good at it. I had a natural ability to get things done, do as I was told, and not want to let people down. I didn't want to be naughty or get in trouble, so I just did what I needed to do. And my brother was totally the opposite, like absolutely, completely the opposite, you know, quits everything, doesn't commit to things like I did. And so I just think that, again, like me, my personality, the club being there at that time, and it just kind of all all aligned, really. So I was lucky. So when was the time when someone said to you or said to your parents, hey, look, I think Sarah's got something here. I think she can go a long way. You know what? I think the best thing is that no one ever said that because the coach at the time, coaches, and you know yourself, they can have a big influence, sometimes really positively, sometimes really negatively. They can put on a young person. When you look up to someone, yeah. these kind of people have a big impact. And I was very lucky that the coach that I had was a big, big influence, still is. And one of the, the things that he was very good at and still is very good is no one's ever too big for the boots. No one's ever better than they should be. We were just treated the same. So, and I think if he would have said that or I would have heard that, I maybe would have either thought, oh God, I'm really good now, so I don't have to try so hard, or maybe felt pressurized. Yeah. So that that was never said really. Wow. Um, which I think is kind of a good, I do think is a good thing. And, and that's a great oh, yeah. question because no one has ever asked me that before. Yeah, because I, I guess as you're saying, you know, it could go two ways, couldn't it? Either you think, wow, I'm a bloody champion and I'm going to go everywhere. Or you could feel the pressure of, oh, my God, I, I don't know if I want all this, you know? Yeah, I definitely would have. I think my personality, I would have felt the pressure, definitely, because I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. I'm not one 
to say how good I am. I've never said that. I mean, I'm I'm a lot more confident in saying this is what I want and this is what why I want it. And but I'd never say, oh, I'm I'm amazing and I'm this and I'm that. And I, and I think that it would have probably added pressure to me. And if that would have happened, maybe I wouldn't have been sitting here now talking about all the things that I've achieved. No, well, maybe, maybe not. So when did you? When did you go, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to really do this. I want it to be my life. I want to compete, not necessarily the Olympics, but I guess, I, I don't know if you call them state championships in England or uh, local area state uh, championships. Yeah. I would probably say I, I was being selected for like major competitions from the age of 15. So I went to my first world championships, junior world championships when I was 15. And I won that. And I was the first person to win a junior world championships or a actual a world championship no one had ever been a world champion so I think that was kind of like oh wow I'm not bad at this I still didn't think I was amazing or anything or I could do this for the rest of my life I don't think I ever made that decision I just think it it just I never said to myself this is what I want to do I know I just knew it was I just knew it was that it was my life you know yeah. and I qualified for the Sydney Olympics when I was 16 Went when I was 17. But yeah, it was just a bit of a whirlwind, really, when I was really young. I was just kind of, I just did what I was told. And I just focused on what, you know, I was told by my coach and everyone around me. And it just kind of worked, really. So your Sydney Olympics were your first Olympics you went yeah. to. How is it telling your parents that you're going to the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we didn't have mobiles or WhatsApp or texting back then, or maybe just about, but... Well, I was in Croatia when we qualified at the Olympic qualifiers and, you know, you when you're ringing up to tell them you've done it, I mean, yeah, they were just so proud. Yeah, they um, they were the best, really, the, the biggest supporters. And, and at that time, we had no funding, but they they paid for everything. They paid wow. for our trip. We, we, didn't have, we didn't have money to pay for trips, but we used to, my dad used to do, like, car boot sales and wow. sponsored this, sponsored that, dragged me around to all the companies, knocking on doors, saying, can you sponsor my daughter? And highly embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but he's a big inspiration, the fact that, you know, now I'm an adult, I'm thinking, like, how brave is that? I mean, he literally just went, he just knocked on the door of people's businesses and just said, look, my daughter's here. And I'm stood there like, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. Uh, can you sponsor it? And I think when you stood there, that it's hard for them to say no, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it shows it shows his passion and belief in what you're doing, doesn't it? Oh, 100%, yeah. I mean, I've got kids now, and I'm even thinking, could I even be brave enough to do that? I mean, I'd probably send an email, you know, or something. <laughs> but he was just like, no, I'm there on the door. Very, very brave. And I learned a lot from that. And at the time, it's the worst experience, isn't it? Sitting in a car, doing a car boot sale, because my dad's saying to me, listen, this is for you, so you're coming. Yeah. Oh, and you, you've so got other things you want to do because you're only, what, 16, 17, and you're stuck at a car boot sale all day. Yeah, all your friends are going out. All your friends are doing, you know, the stuff that kids do, probably getting up to no good every now and then and or whatever, all the kind of lessons that you learn at that age. And, and I never did any of that. And at the time, you're thinking, oh, I'm missing out on so much. My friends are doing this. My friends are doing that. And it probably probably only took me to about the age of 18, 19 when I thought, I'm so glad that I didn't do that. I'm so yeah. glad because I I'm I've been in the Olympics. I've, you know, become a senior world champion since. And all you've done is, you know, the same old, same old what everybody else does. So I'm grateful, really. So the Sydney Olympics were 2004. 2000. 2000. 
So yeah. after the Sydney Olympics, even though you just said you didn't do very well, and I mean, look, 17 years old, look, I guess the mindset you would need to be like you were when you won in 2008, it's a lot of responsibility at that young age, isn't it? You know, you're yeah. even probably fearful of just even competing in the Olympics. And as you got older, you were able to harness that, I guess, and bring it all in and focus it. Well, it was that was the first time Taekwondo was an official Olympic sport. And actually, the weirdest thing, that was the first time that I didn't, or my family didn't have to pay for a competition. So I didn't even know that you didn't pay for the Olympics. I was like, oh, wow. We, we don't pay for this. We get all free clothes. I, I didn't have a clue. So because, I know, because Taekwondo wasn't an Olympic sport, and at that time, you know what it's like. You're a female. You're in a minority sport. You're not going to be on the TV. You, you're not an athlete, You're not in athletics. You're not in swimming. You're not in one of the high-profile sports. So no one cares. I'd never met an Olympic athlete before I went to the Olympics. So I did not have a clue what was going on. I mean, it's so much better now. They prep the athletes a lot more. Yeah. But I didn't have that. I was just, it was like, what is this place? This, I felt like so out of place. So I had all that to deal with. And I guess you don't even have friends or family with you, do you? I mean, my parents came, did, they okay. did go to Australia. Yep. And, but you only get a certain amount of opportunities to meet them. So, like, they can't come into the Olympic Village, obviously, but we can go out. And there's yeah. um, they call it like a hospitality lodge where you can, your parents come there and you can meet them. And, you get like a little coffee and tea and you can have, you know, the odd little meetup. But it, the most amazing thing that happened in Sydney is my, my dad had an uncle that emigrated God, 40 plus years ago at the time. And he had children. So my dad had never met his cousin in Australia. Wow. He got to meet his cousin. And then when my mum and dad, they didn't arrive till later, they met us in Sydney and our holding camp was in Brisbane. So I actually got to meet family they took me around a bit of sightseeing when I was in Brisbane so I got to meet them before my dad did which was an amazing thing as well and then they got to come and watch me at the Olympics so that was awesome wow so look you didn't win any medals at Sydney but then you went on to win the world championships and you got a gold medal 2001 and then you went on uh, 2001 and 2004 the European championships two silver medals yeah yeah, I've won, well, now I've won the world, the senior world championships. I've got two golds, one silver. I've won the Europeans three or four times. Yeah, it just kind of went on from there, really, and just building up that that confidence. When you're a junior going into the seniors, you're with the big girls, you've got to get tough and you've got yeah. to deal with it. And, yeah, it's there's a lot that goes with that, a lot of confidence, a lot of fake confidence as well, you know, using your body language to be to look like you're confident and even if you're absolutely bricking it (laughs) (laughs) you've got to like get your shoulders back and get your head up and and look like you know what you're doing and even though you know every single person there is is nervous but you've got to pretend that you're not and I think that actually makes you feel more confident if you just pretend you are sometimes yeah 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 I mean look I was just going to ask you What's the feeling like that one or two seconds before you enter the ring? I don't know if it's called a ring, but to do your Taekwondo, like in that one and two seconds as you go on, are you like so laser focused on what you're going to do or is there still some hesitation there? Yeah. I mean, it depends what part of my life, but when I was really on it, I think all the the adrenaline and nerves is, it happens way before. Yeah. But when you're on the ring, 
you know it's like it's on now it's almost like the nervous is a nerves is a negative word people always think nerves as being a negative thing but we tried to flip it and it's it's adrenaline it's what you need it's getting you ready to fight it's getting you ready for something that's exciting and I had to kind of flip that around because the those feelings don't feel very nice but it's almost like saying you know what I'm normal this is what we need so it's almost like getting rid of that part of it first and then focusing what you want to do and right before the fight I used to say things to myself, you know, like, this is my ring, like, you better watch out, you know, just little things yeah. like that. Although, obviously, I had my game plan, which I would have been thinking about way before, but right there and then, right before you go on, those are really important things to say, I think, in any in any sport, or even in any bit in life, if you're going to go and do a speech and you're really nervous, it's like, get all rid of all the nerves before, and then right before you go on, like get that confidence say something to yourself you know own it and I think as soon as that referee says go all those sickly feelings they go this is what you've trained for yeah it's just knowing that knowing the habits and knowing what happens and just going over and over and over in your head (laughs) Well, well I like what you just said about you know nerves and not using that word because there is you know with anxiety it's fight or flight and it's almost like you harness the anxiety of fight you know so because anxiety is always looked on as so negative but there is that fight part of anxiety well I need to do this now and I need to get onto it whereas the other one is to run away so I guess you're harnessing so much as you get into that ring I mean I believe I have quite a strong mindset but when I hear you talking and what you had to go through not only are you getting your mindset strong for getting in that ring but you've got your family and friends all behind you wanting you to win so you've got that on your shoulders you've got your country behind you on your shoulders and you're also at a place where I guess you're prepared for but you're still in a place where you don't know a lot of people so there's so many things you have to get right in your head to be able to go in and do it and to fight with a broken foot. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, in, in Sydney, I didn't know how to deal with all that, what you've just said. I didn't have a clue. And again, I was just either in those three phases, fight, flight, freeze. I think the first couple of fights, I was just in fight mode, which is great, but it's not logical. You need a plan. So they are very helpful when you need them. And we wouldn't survive without those three aspects of our life. We wouldn't be our brains wouldn't work the right way. So it's good to know that it's normal and accept it, but sometimes it's not helpful. And I didn't know how to deal with those feelings, you know, and uh, when I lost in the semi-final in Sydney, I was in freeze mode completely. I was like, this is for a medal. Oh, wow, what do I do now? Whereas as time went on and we had psych support and we had an incredible psychiatrist working with us to understand why your brain works a certain way, and how you can use the correct part of your brain to to do what you need to do. And I find it really fascinating. And I could talk about that forever. I, I, just, I just love all that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing because, you know, I mean, I've read about um, sports psychs and psychologists and psychiatrists, and I always sort of think, oh, yeah, well, they must just tell them how to win. But there must be a lot more in that than just you've got to get out there and win that to prepare you, I guess, for even if you don't win, they must prepare you for it. Well, no, I guess they're just preparing you to to win it, aren't they? They're not sort of saying to you if you lose because you've got to keep that mindset focused. I mean, focusing on the outcome doesn't help. So if you're just, and that's what I did in the second Olympics in Athens, I just, I was saying, don't lose. Look, everyone's wanting you 
everyone's here, your family's here, you can't come to another Olympics and not get a medal. That is what I was thinking before going onto the ring. And when I look back, I'm like, that is horrendous. Like no one helped me and told me how to not have those feelings. And it was only when we went to the next Olympics where we did get that support. You don't need to know the sport to, to tell someone how to win or to how, it's not even how to win, it's how to be in a place where you can be totally focusing on what you need to do at that time. And usually you lose because you're thinking about other things or I've got an injury or, oh my God, what if I lose? I'm so nervous. All these normal feelings that you get, they are not helpful. We just put a logical, really strong, factual answer and it kind of shuts those thoughts down. If you just try and brush them off, it doesn't work. They're still there. Yeah, You've yeah. got to give them a strong answer to, to totally go, to free your mind. And then it's like, right, okay, rid of all that crap. This is what I need to do. This is how I'm going to win this match. All right. So I want to ask you about your MBE. So what happens there? Do you get a letter from Buckingham Palace or the Royal Group of whatever they are? Or do does someone say to you, look, you're in the running to be an MBE? Or, you know, what happens there? Um, wow, so long ago now. But I first of all, I found out from a phone call. Yeah. Um, from one of my team, you do have to get put forward. You know, it could be by the taekwondo team or something like that, which I think it was. And yeah, I got a phone call to say I'd got it. And then obviously I got my jazzy letter in the post, um, which is obviously like a car. It's cute. And what I find really amazing, which I'm really proud of, because is the fact that I got my MBE without winning an Olympic gold medal. If you win an Olympic gold medal, you get an MBE automatically. So everyone with Olympic gold is an MBE. And obviously wow. you get another gold, you move up the ranks, OBE, Dane, Sir, all that kind of stuff. But for me, it was really special that I'd got that from what I've already achieved, you know, and it, it means a lot. Yeah, it was incredible to go to the palace. I didn't, my mum and dad had already passed away at that point, which right. I'm sure we can touch upon. You get to take three people with you. Obviously, I would have took my husband and my parents, but they weren't there. Um, so it's kind of bittersweet, really. I took my coach, who I started Taekwondo with. Wow. So I thought, you know what, if I'd never walked into his club, yeah, I would never be here. And I took my auntie, who's like really looked after me since my mum and dad passed away. And she loves the Queen, you know, that old school um, <laughs> royalists. You know, it was like I really wanted to give that opportunity to to come along and um yeah it was awesome really and it it was hard at the, on the day because I'd actually just had knee surgery the week before so I had an ACL reconstruction this was six months before the London Olympics <laughs> just when you think life can't get any worse at the time I was on crutches receiving my MBE and the queen she asked me what I'd done to my knee and you have to do a curtsy which was quite hard because I couldn't really bend my knee oh at the wow time. yeah but it's an amazing um, honour. And I, I always have to pinch myself with that one. I mean, I've won a lot, but the honours that you get from your achievements, they're really special as well. And that one's the, the best one. And I always make sure I write MBE on everything because I'm like, listen, I'm from Doncaster. I'm from this little town in England. Like, I'm going to write MBE everywhere. I don't care. <laughs> Look, I think it's brilliant that you took your coach because, yeah, as you say, if if it hadn't been for him, you would have probably never done what you did. 
Yeah, and I don't know if you um, watch the TV show um, Only Fools and Horses, and I'm not sure if that's yeah. over there, but it's a bit of a Jack the Lad kind of fella. And he's um, he, t- he took a bit of toilet paper, so he's like put it in his pocket. He's like, I've got, I stole some tissue from the <laughs> from Buckingham Palace. He's like, I've got to take something from the palace. <laughs> and I think, well, how have you got that in your jacket? But, um, <laughs> gonna take so take a souvenir, haven't you? No, it was um, amazing. Oh, look, amazing achievements. Like, as I said to you at the beginning, you know, reading through your stuff, all the things that you've achieved and with injuries and, you know, other things, I I was just blown away at how inspiring you are and how inspiring you'd be to women, but not only women, men as well, because your achievements are just phenomenal. I just wanted to touch on this, though, because I did see this, and if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but... Were you, did you, blah, 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 where is it? Something to do with Jackie Chan? Oh, yeah, right. Well, that, everyone always asks me this because it's on my Wikipedia. So when I went to the Sydney Olympics, yeah, when I qualified, at the same time, he had just um, released, I think it was Shanghai Nights or Shanghai Noon, one of those, the two films that he did with Owen Wilson years yeah. ago. So his, prem- his premiere was in London. So we went down... And they said, look, Jackie Chan wants to see some martial arts and come along. So we did like a bit of a secret like demonstration. So we were just kicking the pads in front of Jackie Chan. And he was so cool. Like he just sat down and he was just so engaged. And I mean, I was 16 years old and he was a big star then. So to me, I was, that was probably more nerve wracking than the Olympics at the time. Yeah, so he just came along and watched us. We went to the premiere, which was amazing. And it does say that I think he was supposed to give some money as a bit of a thank you sponsorship thing, but that never happened. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Because I read that and my story is so minor compared to yours. But when I was in my 20s, I used to do a lot of extra work on films and TV. And I was in, uh, it was an Australian film he did, or it was filmed here called Mr. Nice Guy. And I was oh. sitting at a, um, a cafe table when he came running across the table. And he actually said hello to every extra on the table, which was amazing because a lot of those stars just don't even interact with you. Um, and so when I saw that, I thought, well, look, that, there's our six degrees of separation. <laughs> There you go. And he is a very nice, he was a very nice man. And but as you said, he said hello to everyone. He gave everybody the time. Yeah. And I think that's important. I mean, obviously, I'm not on anywhere near as uh, the scale as him, but I think that's important. When you when someone looks up to you and you're an inspiration or a role model, you know, to, to the younger generation, you know, I think it's important that you engage with them. You make the first move sometimes because people are quite nervous. I don't realise that when I'm speaking to people that, that they might be pretty quiet sometimes. And my husband has to say to me, Sarah, they're probably a little bit intimidated. They don't know what to say to you. And I'm like, oh, I don't realise, yeah. you know, what effect you can have on people. Um, but I think it's really important that you give people that time because it, it means a lot. And I, and I think because I never had that growing up, I never had someone like me to come and say anything to me to help me to move forward or I just had to do it, fight through it all on my own. So I think it's really important that, that I do that. Oh, look, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, when you came back from Beijing and you'd won the, the medal, did you, were the media interested in you? Were you then a sport that people wanted to come and talk to you? 
I mean, yeah, yeah, and no, it wasn't. Again, it still wasn't a big sport, but I think it did. It gave us more. I mean, even the controversy gave us so much uh, media coverage at back home, um, from what I was told, and everyone knew the story. If you're into sport and you watch the Olympics in the UK, you would have heard about me. You would have heard about that day how the decision got changed. So it did kind of put taekwondo more in the limelight. And of course, winning an Olympic medal, it gave it gives the sport more opportunities. It gave more, more funding, more money for us to be able to have bigger squads, to be able to move forward. Yeah, and, and did get a lot more opportunities, a bit had a bit more fun with it. And obviously it's proven that, you know, in, in London we got our first gold medal um, with, with Jade. So, yeah, it's just the sports grew and grew from then. So it's nice to be a part of history as well. Yeah, and that's all coming from what you achieved. Other people have been able to achieve that after you. Yeah, and what's really nice is that those people who have achieved, they say that to me and that's really special, that's really nice. So even, you know, yesterday I met up with uh, one of our taekwondo superstars, Jade Jones. She's won two Olympic gold medals now. And we had a coffee yesterday and... Yeah, it's just nice to have that connection with those and for them to know and to say those things to you because you can just disappear into oblivion and and you have to be able to deal with that mentally, but that they kind of give you that, you know, that little confidence boost. And that recognition that that you obviously deserve because without you, things might have been different again. Yeah, people do say that, but you do forget what you've done. You do, you just, sport moves on, life moves on. Sometimes I feel like I'm just a mum. <laughs> you forget what you've done, you know. So it's nice to do these discussions and talk about all these uh, these incredible things. I'll be skipping around after this. <laughs> so what what have you done? What what are you doing now that you've finished? Because you retired. What year did you retire from the sport? So London 2012 was officially my last competition. I officially retired like 2013. Yeah. I went straight into elite coaching and. Then I had children, which I kind of feel like that put a stop to the coaching side because traveling the world was really hard. And my husband does the same job, so we can't both be away and traveling everywhere. Someone's got to be with the kids. So, And I think that's a common theme for a lot of female coaches is one of the reasons why you don't see enough female coaches. I think elite sport doesn't cater for mums as much um, as it should. And then, yeah, I kind of went into more like the leadership role. So I'm on the board for British Taekwondo. I am the president for British Taekwondo, which is like a lot of like international relations and things like that, which is uh, quite difficult sometimes yeah. when you're a female in a very male-orientated world. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and a younger female as well at the time. Yeah, and I do a lot of fitness, a lot of online training and yeah I'm having I'm having a good time yeah life's life's good just saying that you know that in coaching and what you're doing now as the president having to deal with men who are higher up than you or older than you you know I mean you're a trailblazer because you're leaving you're leading the way for other up-and-coming female athletes to be able to take positions similar to yours when their time comes. And also, I mean, just what a great role model for these females who are up and coming 
who, you know, they know someone has got an Olympic medal. So it makes it feel more achievable, I guess, you know, whereas before you, it was like, well, no one's won one. And, you know, I know it had only just started when you entered the Olympic Games, but it it gives them a bit more drive, I guess. And for you to be so open to be able to talk to them and stuff like that. I mean, that's another great thing because you're passing down your experience, how I, I guess everything about what you've done. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I I feel like doing these roles is a good thing for other people. Obviously, of course, for me and my life lessons, um, it's not easy. But I never saw I I never saw these positions being looking like someone like me. Yeah. You know, they they didn't they don't they didn't. Yeah. It's still a long long way to go in in taekwondo at the in the leadership world, and I think yeah. obviously in a, in a lot of sports that next level up or what they perceive as is higher is a very very male orientated it's very um political it's difficult because it's not me i'm not from that world so it's been a real eye-opener and it's hard when you're trying to change things like i've done a lot of work on gender equality within within taekwondo and we had a lot of work to do. We did a lot of things during lockdown, a lot of forums, and it was, it was great for the sport, but nothing's really massively changed. Yeah. So that's quite frustrating when you're used to being in control of something and getting the outcome that you want and it happening in, in a short space of time, where in the leadership world and, and the political world, things take a lot longer. So my patience has been tested, shall we say, a lot. <laughs> So you've learned something from it because I guess in government and things like that, there is always a process which does seem to go on and on before a decision can be made. And if you're someone who's used to getting things done, yeah, I mean, I I would have thought though being having your mindset through the Olympics would have trained you to have that patience. Um, No. (laughs) Patience (laughs) is is not a strength of mine. But being in this position, having children, has kind of helped me to kind of lower the expectations of things happening when you want them to happen. I get what you mean. I think when you're competing and when you're at that top level, you know what you want. You know what everyone else around you needs to do to get you to that point. And you're just really in control of it. You're just so driven and so focused and, and everyone's with you. And you take ownership of that. So it's all on me. When you're in this world now, as you said, it's not all on me. I can have a great idea and think, well, why can't we just do it? What's the problem? And it has to go through this, as you said, this person, this person, this person, and then this person above will change it. And it is a frustrating um, world, but it's the real world, isn't it? No matter if that's leadership, politics, whatever, that's that's the transition of being an elite athlete going into the real world. You cannot get everything you want anymore yeah. when you want it. It yeah. doesn't, life doesn't work like that. And that's one of those, you know, for me, that's a big part of the mental health on, on ex-elite athletes, learning that what real life is. Look, I guess, though, the positive out of it is because of what you've achieved and where you've gone to, you at least have that that opportunity to bring up those things whereas you know a lot of other yeah, people definitely. can't so you can steer things in some way even if it gets changed a bit you can make those changes or push those changes through i think the first thing is yeah that 
is seeing a female in those positions, as you said, it inspires the next generation to think, oh, I can be a coach or I can be a president or I can be on a board and I, and I can, you know, be on, in leadership roles and have an impact into the decisions made for the athletes because that's what I'm there for is to make decisions that are, is for the greater good of the athletes within Taekwondo across across the world. Yeah. And that's really powerful and that's kind of what I have to keep in the forefront of our mind when it does get quite frustrating. But as you said, when you are... When you've achieved something, when you are someone with a bit of clout, with a bit of something behind you, it does help those ideas to, to come through, I think. This is nothing like what you've gone through, but I think I said to you before we started, when I started the podcast, I started it with a few friends coming on, which were great friends, great people who knew lots of stuff about what they, they did. But as you get slightly bigger and bigger, then you start to find other people like yourself who want to come on and talk and inspire other people. And then that inspires other people to either come on and be a guest or other people to uh, to tune in and listen. And that's the whole point of this is it's called Life Changes You because in our lives there are so many things that change us for good or bad and it's how we actually deal with it to how we come out the other side. And, you know, as I said, when I read your stuff, broken feet, broken this, broken that, and you still continued, I just thought, wow, what a strong, powerful individual. And I know you said, oh, but it's our mindset and, you know, you have to do it because that's what we want. But it's still to people like me who aren't very sporty is like, wow, what an amazing woman to be able to still harness her power to go out there and still continue doing what she loves because she has that passion for it and that drive. I think it definitely is that. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, it's just me and my personality, but it can't be, can it? You can't just be born with an ability to keep going and no matter what gets in your way, because it does get tough and you do feel like quitting, you do feel like stopping. But I think a lot of it for me started when I was younger and that's, you know, for me now as a parent, I'm like, right, how do I get my kids to plough through when things are tough, even if they don't win, even if they fail, even if they lose, it's just being brave enough to be in a position where you know you might fail. And that, for a lot of people, they don't even put themselves in that position. And it's harder to have a life when you're scared of everything. And I don't want my kids to feel like that. I know people listening to this that might hit a nerve because you might have not done something because you're scared to fail or you're scared of what will happen. And I think I was pushed by my parents to be in those positions because we didn't have a choice sometimes. Yeah. You know, we had to do it. If mum and dad were paying for things, then I had to go and do it because there's no way they're giving up their free time, taking me training four nights a week for me to say, oh, I'm, I don't want to fight at this this weekend because I'm too scared. That's yeah. not an option. Yeah. Like, and I think I had parents enough, my parents were brave enough to say that to me and to, to push me to the point where I didn't really have a choice. And at the time, it's hard. Being a teenager and being in, in, in situations where, you know, you physically feel sick, that you don't want to be there. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. And then you've created these amazing habits where you know that it's all right to be in these scary positions. Yeah. Because it, what's the worst that can happen? You're not going to die. You know yeah. what I mean? You just you might not get the job or you might not win the match. It's, it's all you, you're going to you're going to come away and you're going to learn from it. You'll learn a lot more from being in those positions than you do from not even trying. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. Inspiration <laughs> again. 
Um, look, I just wanted to touch on your parents because when we were talking earlier, you said about the MBE and you wish your parents had been there. And look, it has gone from my mind, but I know your parents died uh, just before you, was it before you um, retired from sport? No, they died in 2011. And they, I mean, it's quickly to push over it also would be here for another hour, but we can be... <laughs> I'm quite happy for people to message me or contact me or anything like that if they want to know more. But I, my dad got ill in January. No, my mom, sorry, my mum got ill January 2011, so the year before the Olympic Games in London. Yeah. He got diagnosed with a brain tumour. Sorry, my mum got diagnosed um, with lymphoma. Yeah. Cancer of the blood in January. Then my dad got diagnosed with a brain tumour in April. So I, I had... Two parents who had cancer. My dad was told he wasn't going to survive and they gave him a, a year, a year and a half. Yeah. My mum, they were trying to, you know, through the kitchen sink at her to try and get through it. Yeah. And then while this was all going on, I was training for a world championships in 2011 because for, for us having the Olympics in our, in our country – we already have all the spots. It's just a matter of who's going to take them. It's yeah. our country. You have all the spots. That's the privilege. of. Um, so I had to make sure that I was going and whoever did well at that Worlds was going to put themselves in a really good position to go to the Olympics. So for me, training for a World Championships whilst being the, the primary leader and carer for, the, for my mum and dad was hard. It was really, really hard. But I'd learned so much within my career to know how to plan to know what to do it was just a logistical um nightmare but I did it I nailed it I managed to look after both of them and managed to cram whatever training I could to get me to the world championships and you know I'm a parent and my mum and dad both said when they got diagnosed the first thing that came out of their mouth was that nothing about them it was about me you've got to go to the world you've got to go to the Olympics and I just kind of kept that with me, even though it was so hard to leave them to go to yeah. that World Championships because I didn't know if they were going to be here when I got yeah. home. Cancers, you don't know, you can't control it, can you? No. So don't know how, but I managed to win that World Championship. So I won the World in 2011, 10 years from the first time I won it when I was 18. And it's mad, though, how your mind can be just so powerful and I had so much more perspective on life because, like, what was the worst that was going to happen? Like, I was already going through the worst thing you can ever imagine. Like, yeah. it was just sort of like someone had threw a grenade in our in our life and nothing could have hurt me. So I was competing. Like, these poor girls, I took everything out on them. <laughs> I, I won the world and it was easy. I mean, the final wasn't that easy, but in, in terms of like that mentality and getting ready, I was like, listen, I'm coming here. I'm going to smash this and then I'm going to go home because you lot don't matter. Yeah. I didn't even, obviously I wanted to win. I wanted to do well, but, and I did everything I could, but if I wouldn't have won that world in the bigger scale of life, does it really matter? Yeah. It's a competition. It's a tight, it's not real life. So yeah. it kind of really helped me to win. But yeah, I won, kind of put myself in the, a really good position to go to the Olympics the following year. And my dad passed away about two months after that. And then my mum died three months after my dad. Wow. 
So it's when I say it out loud, I know it sounds it, it, it was horrific and it is horrific. And I don't even like saying it because I think, oh, I'm gonna upset people. And but it happens. I never thought this would happen to me in a yeah. million years yeah. or to us. You know, we were a great family, a successful, normal family, but doesn't matter, it can happen to anyone. And you know, getting to the Olympics the following year was, you know, got, got my MBA ruptured my ACL six months before the games. How I even got to that Olympics, I have no idea. It was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do. And But I got there and I competed. I wasn't great. I'd not fought for a year. All the grief that... Yeah. And I think that's important for people to know because that not every Olympic athlete with a shiny gold medal are always the most inspirational ones. So they are incredible, of course, and, and I wouldn't take anything away. I wish it was me, but everyone has a story. And for me, just getting to that Olympics was incredible. I don't know how I did it. Sometimes I look back and think, oh, that poor girl, how did she do that? Yeah. But I'm glad that I did it. And I kind of just said to myself, well, they're not coming back, so I might as well go for it. Yeah. Uh, what's the worst that can happen? And I got there, and that's it. And grief's like another life-changing factor and it, it can it can break you and it probably still as I'm, I'm not the same person I was some good some bad yeah it's took a long long time to like be able to talk about it when I don't get upset like I can talk about it now because I know that it will help others as well and that's kind of why I try to do a lot more like public speaking because everyone wanted to hear my story when I first retired. Everyone wanted to know about it. And it got to like a year or two and I thought, I can't do this anymore. Like this is it's too hard. It was so draining to be constantly talking about it when I'm actually still trying to deal with the trying trauma. Trying to process it yourself. Yeah. yeah. So it was hard. And it's only, say, maybe a year or so ago when I thought, no, I want to do this now. I want to talk about it. And I want to share my story to help others because every it's, it's a thing, unfortunately, that if I'm talking to 100 people, God, what, 60, 70 people can resonate with what I'm saying? Definitely. And they can maybe take something from it about how it's affected me and about the good and the bad. But, yeah, that's that's the parent's story. And, and yeah, it's hard, but it's, it's happened. It's real. You can't shy away from it. You've got to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I often say on here that, you know, if someone takes a grain of sand of information from each podcast and uses it in their life or shares it with someone else, you know, it's something that can help everybody. And I mean, your story, you know, I know you've lost both your parents in in such a short time. Um, You know, I guess for you as well, you lost the two most prominent people in your life that were there when you started at 16, well, younger than 16, but when you first went to the Olympics. So your cheerleaders had just dropped out of your life. And that that would be a hard thing to cope with. And I guess with your mindset and what you've learned over the years, for you to be able to just be vulnerable and to just go, I feel really shit and this is just what's happened, you know, but still have the stamina to keep going on and still compete in the games. Whether you win or lose, it doesn't matter, does it? You still were able to carry on while you were going through that grief. Just about. Just about. There were some, some bad days. There were some very bad days. And when I, when I hurt my knee... Uh, that just kind of topped it off, really. I was just like, what is this world going to throw at me anymore? Like, what have I done to deserve this? And that was that was a big blow because I 
I know how horrific that injury is. And I know that six months to be fully fit mentally and physically, whatever, before I did my ACL was hard. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I'm on crutches three months before the games and everyone else is training, you know, and um, no matter what, I think the, the mindset that I had in the world the year before, even if I had that, like physically, I just, it couldn't have happened. And I'm all right with that. Yeah. I'm I'm fine with it because again I did everything that I could and I know, and I know like if you've gone through grief anyone listening you know that the beginning it's there's you kind of numb you kind of can just plod on a little bit and I thought you know what I'm just going to have to put this on hold I need to just I needed that I needed a focus I needed something to keep me going you know yeah. but after the games it was like right what now 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 I have to deal with what's happened so it probably hit me like a year later, yeah. you know, and it probably, and I think I allowed the, I don't know what you would call it, the cloud or the weight of grief to affect me for far too long. And I think it was my husband, it was probably about two, three years ago. He said, when are you going to stop? Like, when does this stop? Are you going to like have this weight on your shoulders for the rest of your life or you need to stop. Doesn't mean that I don't miss them or wish yeah. they were here or my life was different or I wish they'd met my kids, all that stuff. It wouldn't, it wouldn't stop. But I have got to have a just start living life more. And grief, I think for me personally, it just kind of put little blockers in place. Yeah. Like I wasn't the life and soul of the party anymore. I got anxiety about going out and you know, oh, am I gonna get home all right? Or what is the taxi? And just Think, I think so. That safety net, as you said, you've lost. Yeah. I put this. I created this anxiety safety net in everything that I did. And how long does it go on for? You know, I'm only 39 now, and I've been. I carried that with me for far too long, really. So I want the rest of my life, whether that's 10, 20, 30, 40 years, to be a bit more free. And I just needed to stop it happening. You know. Oh, that's that's great. I mean, look. Um... It's been an absolutely brilliant conversation with you. I'm so glad you came on the podcast. You are inspirational. You've charted, I guess, a new course for women in Taekwondo. You've opened up doors in Taekwondo. Uh, you talk openly about your life and how it's affected you, which is great because that helps other people. If it's not about Taekwondo and it's about losing family members, you know, all these things create who you are now and what you stand for and the new things you're still going with, you, you know, like president of Taekwondo, all these things, you're still a trailblazer. And thank you so much because it was absolutely amazing to speak to you and, and hear all those different little things in your life and, and how they change you and how your mindset changes and, and, you know, bloody brilliant. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And this is kind of the reaction that I get a lot of the time. And as you said, if you can take one little thing from me, then that makes my life worthwhile. Like my values are so much about giving back and helping others and inspiring others, others if I can. So, yeah, if you took something, then thank you. You've made my day. And it's been great. I've, I've enjoyed it. I love talking about, you know, 
the life that I've had with a view to to help. So it helps me. It's like good therapy as well for me. So thank you so much. <laughs> Look, it's been really, really good. Do you want to tell? So people can find you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Sarah yeah. Stevenson. Uh, on Sarah Instagram, Stevenson. it's Sarah, uh, Sarah Stevenson Inspires, isn't it? Yeah, Sarah Stevenson Inspires, but I'm sure you'll find me if you just type in Taekwondo or Sarah Stevenson. But yeah, Sarah Stevenson Inspires is usually uh, the one where to find me. So yeah, get in touch if you ever want to talk or I've touched upon something that affects you. I'm really happy to, to if anyone wants to reach out. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you, and I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.